Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 8th day of February 2024, and this is episode 854 of Bitcoin, and the Circle P is open for business. The Circle P, you can get in it. Do you? Are you a Bitcoiner? Do you accept Bitcoin for your goods and services? If you have superior products, like my friend Maple Trade does, then you're going to be able to ask me to get into the Circle P, and I'm going to say yes. It would be nice if you, you know, sent me some sats if I actually sell you some product. But today's vendor for the Circle P, and like I said, if you're in the Circle P, it's because of two reasons. One, you got a superior product. Two, you accept Bitcoin for your goods and services. If either one of those is not true, you are not in the Circle P. Maple Trade is in the Circle P. Circle plebs, man. Strange things are afoot at the Circle P. Maple Trade, good buddy of mine. I have been selling his uh, maple syrup since last year, in fact, and uh, had a pretty good run. He's he's pretty good about get throwing me sats for all the maple syrup that I sell for him, if and when I actually do sell maple syrup for him. He makes maple syrup by hand, so you may indulge in the pure, rich taste of nature with his artisanal, handmade maple syrup, crafted from the finest maple trees. Each bottle is a sweet testament to tradition and quality, perfect for pancakes, waffles, or that special recipe needing a touch of sweet complexity. Elevate your meals with the drizzle of his amber delights. Order now and taste the difference true craftsmanship makes. That's right. He makes his maple syrup by hand. He does. He taps Hundreds of maple trees by hand. There's no automation on his farm. He does this shit the old-fashioned way. And he gathers up all the maple syrup, or actually gathers up all the maple sap, and then he takes it to old-fashioned evaporators where he starts a fire and evaporates all the water off. Well, not all the water off, but at least until he gets to a certain sugar content, and then he bottles it, and then... He'll send it to you if you send him some Satoshis. And don't forget, he's got a sister. Her name is Sarah, and Sister Sarah makes soaps. That's right. One of these days, I'm going to figure out a way to turn this into a tongue twister. But she actually makes very fine handmade soaps. And I've used them, and they're fabulous. I love them. So you can get both maple syrup and Sister Sarah soaps from my good friend Maple Trade. You can find him on Noster at Beisnerds, B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S. On Twitter, same handle, at B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S. Make sure you tell him, if you're going to buy his stuff, make sure you tell him that you heard about it from the Bitcoin and podcast. Let's move on. All right, what do we got here? What do we got? Uh, do, do, we don't need that anymore. Okay, 
We're going to talk a little bit more about this EIA business. All right. That's the, well, we'll get into it from Bitcoin Magazine. Charlie Spears and Storm Rund is writing this one. The EIA emergency information collection is alarming. No. No, no, you think so? You think it might be alarming? Yeah, well, in mid-January, a massive winter storm swept across the United States, dropping temperature in central Texas into the low 20s and causing Texans yet once again to huddle indoors with their heaters running full blast. The Texas power grid creaks and groans when it's put to the test during extreme weather events, and sometimes it goes down, leaving citizens out in the cold however this time the power stayed on and it was in large part due to an unexpected recent phenomenon bitcoin mining bitcoin miners turned their operations off to redirect power back to critical infrastructure reducing stress on the texas grid lee bratcher president of the texas blockchain council recently wrote about how there is a considerable evidence that miners in other, I, in other ISOs similarly curtailed their operations and benefited grids across the country throughout the storm. Meanwhile, across the country in Washington, D.C., the administrator of the Energy Information Administration, the EIA, was drafting a memo to the Office of Management and Budget calling for an emergency review of cryptocurrency mining operations out of, you know, Concern for stressed electricity systems and heightened uncertainty in electric power markets. Now the EIA is conducting an emergency data collection of mining operations and the Bitcoin mining industry is scrambling to respond. The irony that the EIA launches the emergency data collection based upon the grounds of grid instability at the very moment, mining empirically empirically demonstrated grid synergy is not lost upon us. So let's dive into the context for this data collection, the industry response, and our thoughts on the overall situation as it stands. The EIA collects, analyzes, and disseminates independent and impartial energy information to promote sound policymaking, efficient markets, and public understanding of energy and its interaction with the economy and the environment. If a federal agency wishes to collect information from the public, they first must ask the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, for permission to use taxpayer money and submit an information collection request, also known as an ICR. Typically, the procedure would look like this. First step, the EIA internally develops the ICR and checks their own internal approval boxes. Step two, the ICR must be published in the Federal Register for 60 days to put the industry on notice of the proposed survey and afford the public an opportunity to comment. Step three, mm -hmm, here we go. The EIA reviews all public comments and then summarizes them in a, in a report and then makes any changes to the ICR as a result of the notice and comment period. Step four, the updated ICR goes back to the Federal Register for another 30-day notice and comment period and is concurrently submitted to the OMB for final approval. And the final step is OMB reviews the final documentation, all the comments, and issues their final ruling on whether the survey will and can proceed. Notice and comment is a critical aspect of the administrative law process for agencies such as the EIA 
It affords them an opportunity to consider innocuous questions from affected businesses such as, is collecting this information necessary? Do the ends justify the means? How will you make sure the data the EIA collects is useful, high quality, and will be protected adequately? The EIA has initially selected 82 operations to send this survey to, as identified in their in-depth analysis published February the 1st. Under normal circumstances, ICRs like this are not unprecedented. (coughs) The EIA has routinely conducted surveys on energy use for commercial buildings and manufacturers in the United States. One survey on data center use has a 26% response rate among 50 surveyed, as well as energy producers and distributors. It appears the EIA has never singled out data centers for their own survey beyond that pilot one, let alone Bitcoin miners specifically. However, the EIA and the OMB have decided these are not normal circumstances. They have triggered the emergency provisions of the Paperwork Reduction Act to bypass the notice and comment period and go straight to the part where you hand over all of the information pertinent to your mining operations or else. What is unprecedented is the EIA using these emergency provisions to target a specific industry with no discernment over size, location, or any other cognizable metric. There is no 60-day period. There's no 30-day period. Survey starts now. Why should we, as an industry, be particularly critical about the omission of the seemingly arcane part of administrative agency procedure? The industry is deprived of at least 90 days of coordinate PR responses, conduct research, and plan legal challenges to the underlying validity of the survey. Timelines to develop a compliance plan, converse with attorneys, and coordinate with team members are significantly truncated. The industry is given zero opportunity to interface with regulators over the types of information requested, industry concerns, or any practical insights miners may be able to provide. Notice and comment periods provide you know, a transparency into the decision-making process of administrative agencies and would allow industry participants to ask why these surveys are necessary and influence their direction. Therefore, under threat of criminal penalties and fines of up to $10,633 per day of noncompliance, miners are now required to report to the EIA coordinates of facilities, metrics on electricity consumption, identity of power providers, number and age of ASICs, total hash rate, and more. This all begs the question, what constitutes an emergency? According to the statute, agencies are permitted to request emergency processing when public harm is reasonably likely to result if normal clearance procedures, namely notice and comment, are followed. But, consequence, the stance of the OMB, or rather, by consequence, the stance of the OMB and the EIA is this, quote, If the standard 90-day notice and comment period is observed, then something could happen that is reasonably likely to cause public harm. If we circumvent the notice and comment period and start collecting data now, then public harm is less likely to occur, end quote. There are two potential takeaways from this. Number one, 
The EIA and OMB are really reaching for emergency justification as little reasonable action could be taken in the next 90 days that would have any material effect on miners' overall market demand for electricity. There may be reason to consider that utilities use off-peak season for future planning and expansion, so this emergency order would accelerate to account for 2024 on-peak planning. And number two, there may be intention to take action in the next 90 days based on the findings of the survey that would materially affect miners' overall market demand for electricity. Readers may find it interesting that the Bitcoin halving is almost exactly 90 days from the January 26th emergency order. Yes, that's correct. The question remains, what exactly is it the emergency? What here, oh, sorry, here is what we are given in the official approval of the survey published by the OMB. Quote, EIA has determined that public harm is reasonably likely if normal clearance procedures are followed. Followed As evidence, the price of Bitcoin has increased roughly 50% in the last three months, and higher prices incentivize more crypto mining activity, which is not necessarily true, by the way, but whatever, which in turn increases electricity consumption. At the time of this writing, much of the central United States is in the grip of a major cold snap that has resulted in high electricity demand. The combined effects of increased crypto mining and stressed electricity systems create heightened uncertainty in electrical power markets, which could result in demand peaks that affect system operations and consumer prices, as happened in Pittsburgh, New York in 2018. Such conditions can materialize and dissipate rapidly. Given the emerging and rapidly changing na nature of this issue, and because we cannot quantitatively assess the likelihood of public harm, EIA feels a sense of urgency to generate credible data that would provide insight into this unfolding issue. The Bitcoin mining industry, no strangers to chaotic economic and regulatory environments, has begun responding. The emergency ICR has been dispatched to approximately 82 miners who presumably account for the bulk of the United States hash rate. While this data will ultimately be gathered from all commercial miners, our direct conversations with several industry participants suggest that awareness of the ICR may not yet be widespread. However, several mining advocacy organizations have already issued formal responses. The Texas Blockchain Council has come out strongly against the emergency ICR. Quote, the EIA's mandatory emergency survey of electricity consumption represents the latest in politically motivated campaigns against Bitcoin mining, cryptocurrency, and U.S.-led innovation. We believe this should cause concern for all industries that rely on data centers as part of their operations, end quote. The TBC calls this an abuse of authority and points to the abundance of voluntary data transparency already available for the young mining industry. Dennis Porter of the Satoshi Action Fund says, quote, this is not the hill to die on and that miners should lean into transparent data reporting as the most productive response. Porter says, quote, Bitcoin miners need to avoid putting yet another target on their back and to avoid escalation. Satoshi Action's Mandy Gunasakara says, quote, Notably missing from the EIA letters is any information pertaining to Bitcoin mining's record of curtailing operations at key moments to shore up grids when demand spikes and encourages miners 
to participate in their voluntary curtailment survey. Twitter has produced a range of responses, including observations of the specific peculiarities of the survey, such as geographical coordinates and punitive measures for non-response. EIA Administrator Joseph D. Carolis' memo to the OMB specifically refers to an event six years ago where the presence of mining allegedly contributed to adverse effects on grid pricing. However, we see overwhelming empirical demonstration that mining activity is inversely proportional to grid energy prices. This is either a significant omission or a deliberate mischaracterization. Additionally, the memo claims miners are modular and will flock to low-cost electricity, which makes demand projections difficult to plan. However, we have seen little evidence that Bitcoin miners are capable of such swift mobility at scale. A similar and viable criticism of the industry is the relatively short lifespan of some operations, leaving unused grid capacity after the mining rigs are gone. Another glaring omission is that while the EIA may not have fully assessed the state of domestic Bitcoin mining, regional utilities have conducted these assessments. These utilities work closely with miners and grid operators to adopt sophisticated demand response contingency plans for the very emergency scenario used to justify the ICR. Finally, the EIA only cites only two examples for their claim that there is any precedent for emergency ICR such as this. EIA Forms 878 and 888 were used in order to respond to challenges directly related to specific events of war or natural disaster, like Hurricane Sandy in 2012 and the Iraq War in 1991, to monitor the availability and affordability of fuel reserves. Those emergency ICRs were targeted in response to unfolding catastrophes like war and natural disaster. Here, we've got a much broader survey being conducted in anticipation of a not-defined theoretical emergency. So, in conclusion, our friends and colleagues at the Texas Blockchain Council have stated, quote, Although Bitcoin is resilient and cannot be banned worldwide, the administration is seeking to make the lives of Bitcoin miners, their employees, and their communities too difficult to bear operating in the United States. This is deeply concerning, end quote. We agree. We find that both the decision to utilize the emergency provision and circumvent a dialogue with our industry and the purported rationale for the emergency to be at best misguided and potentially in bad faith. Bitcoin mining is not a threat to the American power grid, public safety, or to residential power costs. Bitcoin mining will bring investment into our rural communities, help optimize electricity markets, capitalize on wasted resources, and can bring prosperity to many jurisdictions that embrace this industry. Let's ensure America remains pro-Bitcoin and pro-Bitcoin mining. All right, so again, that's Strom, Run, and Charlie Spears writing it. Um, the, this article is kind of important because it peels away this, this notion of what does, quote, emergency actually mean? Um, and I am thankful for that because I did not realize that the emergency uh, moniker that they've given this basically strips away any amount of dialogue that would normally occur between the industry being questioned and the questioning authorities. 
So there's no comment period. There's no comments at all. There's no discussions. There's no nothing. It is do this or we start fining you over $10,000 a day. There's nothing about this that's that's legal, by the way. Can I prove that? No. Am I going to spend my time proving it? No. It's shit's illegal. If I'm wrong and you're a lawyer, let me know how. With, I don't know, case law and like, I don't know, what's some notes or something like that. Because this is bullshit. And what's really disturbing, the most disturbing thing is Dennis Porter and what's her name? Mandy Satoshi Actions, Mandy Gunasakara, I think is how you pronounce it, is begging the miners to comply. I am not begging the miners to comply. I am begging the miners, actually, I'm not begging. I'm basically suggesting to the miners, because they can do whatever the hell they want, but I'm suggesting that they need to take a stand right now, not just for Bitcoin, not just for their industry. Take a stand for all of us, whether you're Bitcoiners or not, whether you, even if you hate Bitcoin, if these guys stand shoulder to shoulder and tell the OMB and the EIA to pound sand that they're not getting a single drip of information from them and they can find them all they want and it's not going to matter because at that point they need to go to their states to their governors or to the state houses and to their governor's office and say, you need to protect us because all this Bitcoin mining is occurring in states that are not exactly uh, gleeful of the Biden administration, at least not right now. Uh, Who knows what happens later, but most Bitcoin mining is occurring in states that are essentially not really by excited about the old man trying to find the bathroom. All right. So I hope that that's what they do. I'm really disappointed that Dennis Porter has come out and say, trans, we should, you should do exactly what they say. Now, what he's saying is you should be more transparent. Why? These, the, uh, I mean, do we really need each individual miner to tell ex- each other miner exactly what they're getting on cost for their electricity usage, how they negotiated their contracts with who they negotiated their contracts with? That's all information that can be used against these very companies and will do one thing and one thing only, cause a major consolidation by a team of people that have enough money to gather up this information through Freedom of Information Act from the very assholes, the OMB and the EIA, and put together a bunch of lawyers and a bunch of other strategists to figure out how they're going to capitalize on this information, buy out all the miners, and we've got another problem on our hands that nobody's really talking about. If this information gets out into the wind, there is no generalized competition. Everybody knows what everybody's paying for electricity and where. And you want to talk about a centralization movement, like the likes of which you've never seen. This is it. You don't want to have anything to do with this. Nobody in the mine, Bitcoin mining in the United States should say a word. They should tell the OMB and the EIA, if you want this information, go find it for yourself. It's not that hard. I mean, if I am, if I am buying electricity in a cert, like in Austin, Texas, 
There's only one person I can get the electricity from. That's ERCOT. If I'm in Tennessee, I have to buy my electricity from the Tennessee Valley Authority. This is not hard. It's not like you can, it's literally not like I can go and be in, you know, in, in the, uh, in Texas and not buy my power from the only providers that are actually supplying power. It's not like there's 50 different restaurants, you know, like I can go to like any one of these different restaurants and they all have different owners. It's not like that in the United States. There's only a very few power providers in the United States. All you have to do is look at a map. And if you're the government, you know who controls that power. This is not hard. This is all crap. It all needs to end. And it needs to start with Bitcoin miners standing toe to toe, shoulder to shoulder, and looking at the government and saying, no, we're not going to do this. And they need to do that in conjunction with going to their particular states and saying, we demand that you protect us from the federal government. This is either a ninth, 10th, or 11th, or a combination of the three amendment rights that specifically say, ultimately, if it ain't in the Constitution, then it's the state's issue, right? That's how this works. And we need to start leaning on that more and more and more. Now, a shorter piece here. Um, Du Quan's extradition to the United States has been revoked by the Montenegro Appellate Court. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you spell bribe? I can. Helen Part's going to take us a little bit through it. Cointelegraph. The Appellate Court of Montenegro accepted the appeal of Du Quan's defense in a panel session on February the 7th, according to an official announcement by the court. New ruling has annulled the previous decision of the High Court in Podgorica, dated 29th December 2023, returning the case to the first instance of the court for retrial and decision, the Appellate Court stated. According to the statement, the Appellate Court found that the previous extradition decision was affected by significant violations of the provisions of criminal procedure due to, quote, incomprehensible wording of said decision. Quote, the decision has no reason for decisive facts and the reasons given are unclear, which is the reason for its cancellation, the appellate court argued. The latest decision on Duquan's extradition by Montenegro's appellate court is yet another event in the long history of his extradition process in the aftermath of Terra Luna or Terra Labs collapse in May of 2022. According to the financial regulators in South Korea and the United States, Terraform Labs and its co-founder, Du Quan, orchestrated a massive fraudulent scheme leading to multi-billion dollar losses by investors. All right, so honestly, there's no reason Montenegro should not extradite Du Quan to either South Korea or the United States. Yet they've decided to hold on to him. Why? They, they've got, they've, I mean, unless he is bribing the living shit out of the very people that are making these decisions, there is no reason for Montenegro to hold on to this cat. And this entire oh this this discussion about the uh, particular decision being incomprehensibly worded, I call BS. 
I don't think that's what's going on. I think Duquan gave them a lot of money to make sure that he stays right where he's at and he doesn't go to South Korea or the United States. So just a little, you know, a little spice, you know, the fact that that this entire thing about the Terra Luna collapse, um, all the rest of the stuff that started with FTX and Alameda Research, all, all of that, it's not over yet. We are definitely coming to the end of it, but it ain't over yet, so just... Just be aware. All right, where are we at here? I'm going to move this over to there. And we're going to, let's see. Oh, we do need to do this one. I I can't move this one. I've got to do this one. Ryan Ozawa from uh, decrypt.co is writing this one. This one's kind of freaking me out, man. Because this goes right alongside the FTX stuff. Former Starbucks Bitcoin partner Bakt, B-A-K-K-T, says that it's running out of cash. Bakt. How many times have we heard the name Bakt in the news over the last four years? Well, let's say three years minimum. I'll I'll, I'll stretch it to four. Bakt, B-A-K-K-T, has been a big deal in the quote-unquote crypto space for years. And all of a sudden, they're running out of cash. Digital asset firm back told regulators that this week, they're running out of money, citing the rapidly evolving environment in the crypto industry. I don't think that's why. The company, which once boasted major partners like Starbucks and MasterCards and traces its lineage to the same firm that owns the New York Stock Exchange, disclosed in a SEC filing on Tuesday that it likely does not have enough cash to continue operations for the next 12 months. Bact amended its quarterly report from November to update the risk disclosures. The company had just announced that it was embarking on a major international expansion. Quote, there is significant uncertainty associated with our expansion to new markets and the growth of our revenue base given the rapidly evolving environment associated with crypto assets, the company stated. And as a result... Back said that it cannot conclude it is probable we will be able to increase revenue substantially without raising more money in the near future. I doubt that's going to happen. All the VCs are basically dead. Backed started in 2018 as a crypto platform developed by Intercontinental Exchange, which also owns the New York Stock Exchange. It initially focused on enabling consumers to use digital assets through partnerships with major brands. The company went public via a SPAC. Uh, created specifically to attain public status via a merger in 2021, hitting the stock market with a $2.1 million valuation. It launched a digital wallet touting marquee brands like Best Buy, saying it brings together Bitcoin and other forms of digital assets into one platform, but Bact subsequently shifted its strategy, and instead of directly serving consumers, it offered crypto trading and custody services to financial institutions and fintech companies. The company explained that its new business-to-business-to-consumer approach focuses on powering commerce by embedding crypto solutions into client-like environments. And last April, Bact acquired another crypto platform called Apex Crypto and renamed it Bact Crypto Solutions, touting it as a B2B2C play. The company said at the time that it expected backed 
cryptos, trading platform, and liquidity provider relationships to boost its product lineup. However, Backed has since delisted dozens of crypto assets from the acquired platform, including Solana and Cardano, amid regulatory scrutiny over whether certain tokens count as, oh my God, unregistered securities. And late last month, Backed announced that it was expanding its international footprint, focusing on Latin America and Asia. That expansion, Bact says, introduces uncertainty and the overall crypto market downturn and collapse to collapse of major industry players like FTX have also created headwinds. They told the SEC in that filing its business shift has increased risks and uncertainties. It also cited the possibility of not getting enough revenue to avoid running out of cash. All right, so essentially what we're saying here is that This company that's been around since 2018 started really making a name for itself in 2020 and started getting ahead of steam in 2021 is going to go bankrupt. So the the ripples that started with CZ, because if you didn't, if you didn't know, CZ of Binance started this entire collapse. They're the ones that basically caused FTX to collapse and they I won't explain how because it's too long it's it's kind of a, it's too long of a story but just trust me it this was this entire hurricane that we've been through over the last 2 years that was caused by CZ right Shang Peng Zhao of Binance which I don't think he's the CEO of Binance any longer because you know he's in trouble with the law but he basically did all this and those ripples are still going strong. Let's run numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas Intermediate is up. God, 2.84% to $75.95 a barrel. Brent North Sea up 2.7%. To 81.35. Natural gas, however, is still getting pummeled on the ropes. 2.69% to the downside, coming in at $1.91 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline, however, continues its rise, 2.14% to the upside, $2.31. Gold and the rest of the shiny metal rocks are mixed today, which is not normal, but whatever. Gold is actually down sub $2,500 an ounce, or $2,050, it's actually down to $2,048. Silver is actually up 1.21% to the upside, as is platinum. Everything else is down. Live cattle is up 0.81%. Lean hogs down a third. Feeder cattle is up three quarters of a point. Clark Moody dashboard flashing a Bitcoin price of $45,160. Market cap is $886.1 billion. There's 19,621,974.24 BTC in circulation at this time. Uh, Average block size is 1.66 megabytes. Hash rate is 568.9 exahashes per second. Average fees per block is right around half a Bitcoin. And again, the block space percentage over the last 30 days for ordinals is 1.4%. If you don't know what that means, it just means over the last 30 days, the average amount of block space used for the crap we call inscriptions and ordinals and BRC20 and stuff like that 
is a mere 1.4%, which is one of the reasons why I don't worry about this garbage. Uh, Generally speaking, we're looking at, what are we looking at? We're looking at 268 blocks carrying how many transactions? Oh, you've, you've, you've done something to me. You've taken my transactions away. Oh, well, uh, let me just actually, let me refresh that just to be sure that I'm not, I haven't accidentally hit a button. Wow. Wow. No, I don't want that. That's weird. Used to tell me how many transactions are waiting to clear. That is no longer going on. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Nope. Nope. Don't know. But high priority transaction fees are 55 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority is 35. And I did. Wow. What the hell happened to you guys? Mempool.space just pissed me straight off. They changed their stuff. I hate it when people change their stuff. Don't change your stuff. No, now they've added an, accel- an accelerator dashboard. I don't know what that means. Okay, so they've added something new. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like I like mempool.space. It just bugs me when things change, especially when I'm trying to do a live show. And speaking of live show, yesterday's live show entitled Survey This, episode 853, has the following two boostograms. A golf winch with 6,777 Satoshi says, you are an American Bitcoin icon. Wow, cool, man. I nominate you as the most underrated podcaster in the Bitcoin space. I'm not going to disagree with that last part. American icon or Bitcoin, American Bitcoin icon, probably not. But underrated, I am so terribly underrated. Man, it pisses me off sometimes because I just, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about it. God's death with 537 sats says, well done. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. A golf winch zapped me 420 Satoshis in the uh, live stream of uh, zap.stream and the wild hustle gave me 420 sats as well. And Golfwinch says this podcast is truth for men and women. No cap. Wild hustle says, let's go. Thank you guys. I appreciate, I appreciate the honor of receiving your Satoshis. I promise I will not scrub them into fiat. Uh, Where are we at? Oh, I need to mention this one. Not going to do the article, but I am going to do the bullet points of this Coindesk article written by Sam Reynolds entitled NFTs are the pillars of digital capitalism. Anamoka founder says NFTs are the pillars of digital capitalism. The, the very, the very structural foundation is an animated cat. I get the feeling Yatsu doesn't know what he's talking about, but he is the founder of Animoca Brands, and he does believe that NFTs are underutilized and can be a major component of digital capitalism, transforming industries such as rights management and education. He argues that the current lower valuations of NFTs indicate a healthier, more genuine interest in the technology's utility, which could be crucial in addressing global financial inequality and promoting financial literacy. How is a digital cat that I can right-click and save 
going to promote financial literacy anywhere. My God, the hubris, the hyperbole. It's just, it's all over the place with this guy. But he finishes off his third bullet point is legal framework, specifically in the United States, must evolve to fully support this vision. Of what? Digital stupidity being pillars of a new economy? Are you are you mad? Wow, dude, whatever. Let's get into some nobsbitcoin.com news. Unleashed.chat version 1.13 has been released and provides access to uncensored free and open source AI models for SATs. So you can access some freer AI models, pay them stoshies and get some stuff. It is designed with privacy in mind and supports live Noster and Git repo data querying. Sweet. You can now send us a report when the chatbot is not performing as expected. Just click the report issue at the bottom of a chat response and describe the issue in a few words. This helps us make your experience better. When starting a new chat, you choose between regular chat, Noster, and chat with data. Added mode indicator at the top of the chat, and they've added a pop-up notification when we finish processing your data. To change modes, you will need to start a new chat. The whole point is, if you're looking for something other than chat GPT-4 or 3.5, try unleashed.chat. That is unleashed.chat. And if you try it and you like it, let me know how it works. Uh, I haven't had a chance to, to mess around with it today. Fountain version 1.0.6 uh, has been released and it boosts background audio downloads. Nice. They've made some major improvements to the downloads manager. Episodes will now download in the background on your device, even if your connection drops out. You are also welcome to join Fountain Beta on Telegram to help us test new features before they get released. All iOS and Android users are welcome. Uh, Fountain will automatically download download new episodes from shows that you follow if you have a Wi-Fi connection, and you can manage that in your library settings. Items will continue downloading when the app is in the background, but the download may take a little longer to process. When listening to podcasts offline, you are not able to earn from rewards or promotions. Fountain will not automatically delete downloaded episodes from your device. You can change your audio auto-delete settings so that downloaded episodes get deleted once played or after seven days or after 30 days. They fixed the music track search. They fixed boost music track from player. They fixed occasional Android playback issues on airplane, uh, airplane mode. Uh, also, play button being unresponsive has been fixed. And the Android auto app state syncing has actually been fixed as well. If you were having problems with that, try out Fountain because people like me depend on people like you using Fountain to send me boost and stream me Satoshis while listening to these dulcet tones and getting your Bitcoin news. Now, Spiral has renewed a grant to Christoph Ono. Uh, it says, uh, if you're not already familiar with at GBKS, you might be someone who supports Bitcoin without contributing to it. Christoph may be the most dedicated designer in Bitcoin. Now also helps steer the Bitcoin Design Foundation, a grant program similar to ours. 
So Spiral is still supporting Bitcoin development directly through grants. If you thought they stopped, they didn't. They're still doing it. Uh, Macadamia version 0.1.0 is a native iOS client for Cashew. And let's see what it says about it. Macadamia supports standard Cashew operations such as minting of tokens, sending and receiving, melting tokens, as in using them to pay a Lightning Network invoice, restoring your wallet balance using a 12-word mnemonic seed phrase backup, sending and receiving tokens, and redeeming uh, sent over the Noster protocol. So, wow, it's plugging in directly to Noster. I've got to try this stuff. You can test it using TestFlight. Um, and then they have uh, upcoming fixes, but until they actually do it, it's not worth the time here. All right. So let's get into a very embarrassing book of dad jokes. How does an elephant get down from a tree? He sits on a leaf and waits until autumn. Okay. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, patient says, doctor, I feel like a snooker ball. Doctor, get to the end of the queue. God, these are so bad. Doctor, I keep forgetting everything. The doctor says, how long has this been going on? Patient says, how long has what been going on? Ugh, one more. Where did Napoleon keep his armies? Up his sleeveys. No, you know, stop it. Stop it. No, I'm just, I refuse. I refuse. Those were all terrible. I mean, they're terrible, terrible jokes. They should at least be grown worthy or, you know, make sense. But maybe, maybe this is because these are all British dad jokes and none of them are American. And I'm just missing some cultural context. I don't know, but all three of those sucked. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.